Okay, welcome to our panini. This is Saratoga Beth. Um, swords into plowshares. Swords into plowshares. Whatever that, <coughs> excuse me, whatever that means. We're talking about swords into plowshares this week. And, um, well, we're going to see why it is Parshish Mishpatim. When we think about the idea of swords into plowshares, obviously, just think about it, you know, as if, as if you're a five-year-old, as if you're thinking in a very simple way, because the more simply you think, the better it comes out. Swords into plowshares means you have something that really is working against you. Let's take, let's take the idea of stress. Stress is something that um, classically is known as something not good, right? It's sort of there to, God forbid, deteriorate your, your immune system. That's what stress is all is is somehow considered, and yet so it's kind of a sword. It's one of those things that's there that's not in my best interest. I mean, officially, a sword is to end someone's life, and that's why, by the way, when it comes to the base amigdash, the holy temple, the first and the second base amigdash, you could not use iron, and you could not use iron for a reason because iron was used as a sword and it's used to end life. It's the, and, and, and the base of me, this is all about eternal life. So the two things don't go together. You can't, eternal life, if that's the very essence of the base of Middash, and you're using something to build it that's there to end life, it's not only that it's like, it's like an ugly energy, but you're talking about two completely opposite energies. When you think about this idea of, um, uh, Wouldn't that be the ideal sword in plowshares? What do I if if, uh, if, if you're and, using iron for the base, and just you know instead of like killing? Right. So so we're going to see the transformation of swords of of the ultimate of swords into plowshares. But just think about this idea that um, you have something that classically is 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 used for negative purposes to work against you. And the old approach is just stay away from it. You know, there are people, you know, your child might come home and say, this boy is always picking on me. So you say, okay, so stay away from him. Stay away from him. So as opposed to, it's called iskafia. Just push it away, walk away, run away, don't deal with it. It's too big for you. It, that's one of the things. And the idea of something that ends life is, it's a heavy issue. It's a heavy issue. It's something that ends life. It's too big for you, so just stay away from it. So in the first and second base of Migdash, just stay away from anything having to do with iron. Now, when it comes to the third base of Migdash, we specifically include iron because we transform it. We've, we've moved past the time in which we run away from things, and now we've entered an era in which we embrace things and transform them. There are a couple of things that have to be still, have to be eliminated, and one of them is the nation of Amalek. Right. Tyra says. Which I read oh. as part of the Arab Rob. I was like shocked because I always oh. thought of Amalek um, as uh, something outside. So, no, there are probably different, different opinions about. Well, Arab Rob is supposedly outside anyway, but I mean, but right. it looks like it's within. But the that's, people. obviously that's one opinion, that Amalek is part of the, I never heard that opinion. But it's one very isolated opinion. Right. But a mullet, as the way we've learned it, a mullet is, you know, come, it's, you know, it comes from um, a mullet, um, um, not Akashir, Haman comes from a mullet, etc. 
And so that's the nation and that's the energy that has to be eliminated. And yet everything else has to be transformed. So we're used to that concept, but there are a couple of things that need to be eliminated, according to Tyra, and everything else needs to be transformed. So that's why we find ourselves in an interesting time in history when we think, well, if everything's supposed to be transformed, why, you know, different things that are going on in the world today and different things that we need to do, why are we going to eliminate certain things and why not transform them? And that's the answer because there are the isolated things. The energy of a Amalek needs to be destroyed, says God, and, and everything else needs to be transformed. Okay, so again, the idea of a sword, a sword is something that does not need to be destroyed, but it needs to be transformed. And how do you know? Because Isaiah, Yeshaya says, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Well, there you go. How do you know what you're supposed to do with any particular thing? You you look and see what Tyra says. So if they'll be if if Yeshaya tells us this, we know what our mandate is about iron. And that's why, by the way, politically now we're in a situation where we have an iron dome and we're called the women of iron and and we're in the midst of a war that's called um iron swords, Operation Iron Swords, because there's a lot going on of all the pieces of all of history coming together at this at this moment. So what's this idea? Let's look at it in Tyra, the idea of swords into plowshares, and how come when we're in Parshas Mishpatim are we talking about that? So we know that Mishpatim is about um, a code of law. Code of law. Hashem gives us, God gives us various um he gives us three different categories of mitzvahs, and one is their chukim, the ones that, you, yeah, you can't really figure them out. Why? They're not logical. Yeah, they're not logical. You're going to look at them. They're not logical. You can't really figure out how that they would make any logical sense, and they're not designed by Hashem to make logical sense. They're from a frequency that's above your natural logic. And you have to realize, we have to realize that our natural logic has been trained by the world, which is on a fairly low frequency. Right. right. So, so that frequency is pretty low. And that, that's, that's where hooking are way above that frequency. And, and, um, ageless are those that kind of remind us of things and, and yeah, like Pesach, we came out of Egypt and we, and Shabbos, and Hashem created the world. So they're, I don't know how you would describe them, but they, they bring to mind, they reenact an energy. And then we have Mishpatim, that you don't have to be Jewish for them to make sense to you. Or you don't, you don't have to be Jewish to feel like you can relate to them. You can be anybody in the world and relate to them because they're all these, it's all basic morality. It's basic morality. And so when we're talking about a partial with basic morality, Mishpatim, here we come to this moment in history where God decided that when he's going to bring this prophecy into fruition, which is from a few thousand years ago, as Yeshaya says, the Chitsu, I'm trying to see it here, the Chitsu Charvatim Le'itim, they will beat their swords into plowshares. When we, when, when we see that, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. Thinking, now that it's come, now that it's actually happening, how do we know it's actually happening? Well, Bob Terebis tells us, you, you, there was a moment, which was Parshish Mishpatim in the year 1992, when 
they got together in Congress and they enacted a certain, they passed a certain bill, and the Rebbe said, this is the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, could I have decided that? No. It takes the Nazi to die, the leader of the generation, to, to understand from the depths of Tyra that this is the moment that begins the fulfillment of that prophecy. So when does it come out in Parshas Meshvatim? We're going to see in a few minutes, maybe more than a few minutes, why specifically in Parshas Meshvatim. What it has to do with Meshvatim? Meshvatim is, we're saying, basic morality. So wait a minute. Let's just think logically. If we're, you know, if we're just, we're not Torah scholars, let's put ourselves on the level of, as Rashi says, the five-year-old child who just thinks very logically. In Meshvatim, basic morality. Yeah, makes sense. You know, um, isn't a, isn't a geula the future going to be a time of, of ultimate peace? So how's it going to be an, a time of ultimate peace if everybody's pulling their sword out and everybody, you know, ultimately we won't have swords anymore. Or if we have swords, we're not going to be using them to kill each other, God forbid. So I want to go back to um, a scenario that's, that's, that's familiar in history. You go back a thousand years ago. We'll go to, I don't, I don't want to sound, uh, I'm picking on any particular nation. Just pick a nation, I don't know, somewhere in Southern Europe. Right? And two men, you know, real kind of macho men, they enter the marketplace and one of them sees that the other guy is wearing the same exact boots, handmade boots as he is. And it's a big thing for them, like, you know, I paid you know, whatever, this huge amount of money for these handmade boots so that I would look different from everybody else. Say, who are you? Who are you to wear these same boots? So he might go up to the other guy and say, take off those boots. You can't wear them. I, you know, I don't know how you managed to find them, but it's me or you. And the other guy says, the other fellow says, oh, it's me or you. And nobody says, oh, my goodness, that's disgusting. What kind of morality is that? That's me or you. In those days, it was perfectly normal. Me, you, it's me or you. I'm going to have the boots, so you're going to have the boots. So what do they do? And they're arguing about it. And, and there's a whole crowd that's, crowd that's kind of standing around looking to see what's going to happen. Who's going to get to wear the boots? So what happens? They both pull out their swords, and they have a duel. And they fight each other with their swords. And one of them finally wins and stabs the other one or kills him or whatever. Or or neutra- neutralizes him, right? <laughs> neutralizes him. And and the other one is uh, out of missing in action now. He's out of action. That's it. Um, question is solved. You know, the problem is solved. And the question is decided who's going to wear the boots. Who's going to wear the boots now? The one who won the fight. Now, here's the question. Do people stand around? This is a thousand years ago. This crowd that's standing around, are they woke culture? No. Are they saying, oh, my goodness, that's disgusting. I mean, how could you do that over a pair of boots? Are they saying that? No, they're not saying that. They're saying, like, Oh, Mike, are they going to do a demonstration? No, they're not going to do a demonstration. No, look what he did. He, he basically neutralized the other guy over a pair of boots. Are they going to do that? No. 
So what are they going to do? Everybody around is going to go, bravo, bravo, meaning you're the man, you're the man, you're the hero, you won the fight. If it was a question who's going to wear the boots and he didn't want to give in to you, one of you was going to win and one of you was going to lose. So we stand with the winner and you won. And he lost, bravo, but uh, he kind of uh, injured or worse to the guy with his sword. That's the way of the world. That's the way of the nations of the world. It was completely, it was considered completely normal. And before laws, you mean to say? Let's say, but the social culture was that. That if you're a real man, you take up, pull out your sword and have a duel with the other guy. And that's called being a real man. So nobody felt like that's immoral, that's disgusting. I, I, you know, like, oh my goodness. I'm going to do a demonstration. I'm going to do a demonstration about. Nobody did. They felt like this is perfectly normal. That was the way of the world for the nations. Something changed. When did something change? Around the year 1992. How do we know? That the, was a long time. Right. The Lubavitcher. Yeah, it was a long time. The Lubavitcher refers to it and speaks about. And we'll see in, in a few minutes. Speaks about. Um, so basically, the, 1992. Was a time where people started setting up for others, right? I'm not. I'm not sure, but we just know that the Rebbe said this is a moment where we see that the nations of the world have changed their basic way of being. They were a certain way for several thousand years, and they changed. The question is, what made them change? Okay, so let's go back just a drop and 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 look at some of the details here, because. Um, the Rebbe said, you had superpowers of the world getting together, and they made a decision to nullify the situation of war. Meaning, what does that mean? In other words, take some of their weapons and blow them up. What they did is they went into the desert, and they blew up a lot of weapons, and they said, let's make peace, and let's work with each other, and let's, we just don't, we don't need so many so many weapons anymore. Now, where we're up to now, have we backtracked? What was it in American law? I'm not sure. But but have we moved backwards? Obviously not. We've moved forward. So where we're up to now, but this moment was a moment in history. And 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 the and the question that the Rebbe asked is, what does it have to do with where we're up to? And what does it have to do with the Gula The and we have to know that this pu'ula, this thing that happened, happened through Melech HaMashiach himself. Because it says he will, it says in the Pesach, in Yeshaya, in Isaiah, it says that he will judge between the nations. And who is the judge? The judge is Melech HaMashiach. He will be the one that will bring all of the nations to the point where they really want to have peace. And I remember about 30 years ago, there were there were articles written about the idea that the peace will come through the fact that nations will realize that um, economically and socially, etc., it no longer pays to to do war. Why we're in the again? What what are going on with these wars now? Let's let's say it this way: the wars that went on all through history were like red flag operations. Okay, maybe we could say that. But the wars that went on through all of history were what? Um, they were just wars 
I, I live in Spain. I'm the king of Spain. You're the king of Portugal. I want your territory. Why? I want it. It wasn't, there was no holy, as much as they said this is a holy war, there was no moral justification for my country taking over your country. You have, I, I want more territory. I'm going to annex your, your country. And that, right. And there was nothing, there was nothing godly about it. It was simply war for the purpose of war. Whereas when it comes to he will fight the wars of, of Hashem, and he will win, as it says about Mashiach. That means that Hashem has a war that he has to fight at the end of all of things, as he, as he takes us into the Gula. It's a war that he fights all of through, all of through history, but it comes to, uh, it comes to a peak as we're going from Gullus to Gula, the wars of Hashem. And what are the wars of Hashem? It is the war that Hashem fights to bring the ultimate truth into the world. And why? Because if, if the world says, oh, we acknowledge the truth of Hashem, you know, Hashem is, Hashem is everything, and we will follow his holy Torah. If every single human being in the world, every single Jew and Lahabdul non-Jew says, sure, no problem, we believe in this fully, as we will in Yemites and Mashiach, there's no reason for a war. And the war can be, and it is now, a mindset war. The war doesn't have to be bang, bang, shoot, shoot. But it's a mindset war. In other words, whose truth is the real truth? Before that, it was like, who takes whose piece of land? You know, I have this kind of tea, you have that kind of tea. I feel like having yours, I'm going to take it. There's nothing godly about that war. There's nothing holy about it. There's nothing moral about it. There's nothing good about it. It's simply my selfish desire to take what I see that belongs to somebody else, and I want it because you have it, I want it, which is entirely different from the war of Hashem, in which Hashem says, if the world doesn't just sort of comfortably slide into a recognition of truth, which, good luck, then we fight a war. And Hashem says, and I myself, as the Rebbe said in Buffy Ligani, couple of years ago, I myself go out, I close and close myself, says God, as Hashem Tzvaka, as, as the warrior, and I go out to fight, fight the evil. Because in the end, the evil has to be destroyed by God himself. And why he, he made room throughout all of history for evil to grow, you know, you'll ask him in Mashiach time, I guess there's going to be lots of free time in Mashiach. What? No, but I guess there's going to be lots of free time in Mashiach time to ask all these questions. So, you know, write them down. You know, I have a special diary. All the questions I'm going to ask in Mashiach times, I'm going to ask Mashiach himself. And and that'll be, you know, infinite for brains asking these questions. Why did God want, why did he, why did he let evil proliferate so much? Why, you know, all these kind of, you know, you know, when you grow, when you grow up, you'll understand these things. So we're about to grow up. We're about to grow up, and the world is about to grow up, and we're about to understand all of these things, and every single thing is planned by God himself, including the fact that in the end, it's not a smooth transition to, yes, Hashem al-Chad except for one major mindset war, which really, in theory, could bypass the entire idea of the necessity of a physical war, and that is... 
Sheva Mitzvahs Beneinach. The seven mitzvahs for for all all non-Jews in the world. If in theory we spread that knowledge and we bring the entire world to embrace the seven mitzvahs and to become Beneinach, nobody needs to fight a physical war. Physical wars are like very last millennium, you know, like, oh my goodness, you're actually fighting a, a physical war. It's so last millennium. I mean, where have you been? Right? Where have you been? You know, well, what do you want me to do, honey? What do you mean? You just need, you need to inspire everybody with the seven mitzvahs, with, with their mitzvahs in the Torah, which is true. So, and we can still switch gears. We don't have to bang, bang, shoot, shoot, but we can, um, we can't necessarily go to a malik and say, here's a seven mitzvahs card, but we can go to the nations that help a malik that live in those places and get them to go and do the job. So it's, I'm going to say that it's not an a priori, it's not a, a necessity, probably. I'm not a big war expert. It's not a necessity that there has to be actual physical war at this point. I'm, I'm going to guess, and this is, this is like... Does Christianity in any way help? Promote I don't think the no. I don't think Christianity helps. I mean, I'm not a big uh, yeah. help from, promote the seven mitzvahs. No, because uh-huh. it doesn't doesn't promote the Tyra. No. Right. But they know about like for instance the Ten Commandments. Right, but but again, I'm not a big scholar, and you know the 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 difference. But um, probably not. If they they know about the Ten Commandments, but not necessarily the yeah. seven mitzvahs yeah. or the seven mitzvahs. So. Um, so here, so here we have this moment in history when, when in the Congress they make this decision that is tantamount to they will beat their swords into plowshares. Who is the one who oversees it and kind of brings them to the point of making that decision? Mashiach himself. And as it says here, at the end of days, um, um, Har, um, Har Beit Hashem, the mountain of Hashem will, will be, you know, the place. Everyone will say, let's go to the mountain of Hashem and to the house of Yaakov and we will learn in his, we will, we will go in his ways. You know, we sing that in Shul. Who is the one who will show them? Melech Mashiach. He's the one who will judge between the nations and bring all nations to the point where they say, Huh. It's become counterproductive to fight each other. We need to cooperate. We, we once the nations move to a higher frequency and they realize there's got to be more to war than if I'm at Spain I take Portugal and if I'm Portugal I take Spain. There's got to be more to life. Like there's got to be something bigger. And you see since. Um, 1988, since the passing of Rebbe Tzunchai Mushka, which we're in those days now, mm-hmm. that the world has, the world started moving very quickly in that direction of there's got to be more to life than just 9-5, you know, just, you know, fighting, fighting, fighting the war, fighting the war, just, you know, the struggle of how do I make a living, etc. So, the rest is going to ask the questions. Let's talk about the place that this decision was made. Again, a decision in Congress, and it was the, which partial was it, which time, which country, which place, etc. So the place that it happened was New York. Now that's very strange because New York 
Okay, because the United Nations was here. But why the United Nations is here? It was really supposed to be in what? Brussels or something? Somewhere in Europe? And at the last second, money was given to build it in the U.S. Couldn't be in the capital city. Never can be because it has to be sort of a part of a place. So the U.N. was put in New York. It doesn't belong. It's definitely not in Washington. Okay. Now, why was the United Nations put in New York? Because... Because this is a place of, of, of base Rebbeinu Babo. This is a place of the, the shul of the Nasi Adar, of the Mashiach of the generation. And therefore, his base Medras, his base, base Knesset, this is his place. And therefore, his whole thing is Geula. What is Mashiach here to do? To usher in the time of redemption, the time of ultimate peace. So then... That means that where, if you're going to think about ushering in ultimate peace, you're probably going to want to, to say in the vernacular, hang around with the one who represents peace. I mean, it sounds like great because it's United Nations, et cetera, but right. they're really venomous, right? Nowadays. Right. So, so I remember at that time it was, it was about 30 years ago. Also, I, 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 I was, I had a seventh grade class and we went to see Isaiah's wall, and it's called Isaiah's wall, and it says, and they will beat their swords in the plowshare on the wall on 21st Street. So we went and we did a tour of the of the of the UN. I remember, and and we had learned this sicha, obviously. We did a tour, and then they showed us different rooms. And in one of the rooms, they said, um, over here they have a lot of discussions about world events. So one of the girls in the class said, she's so she looks she's so much fun. She said. If they would spend less time discussing and more time doing things, they'd get somewhere. <laughs> right? So, you know, she's a great girl. So, so the place where the UN was, where this decision was made in Congress was New York. Why? Because that's the city of Mesidarenu, of the leader of the generation. That's the city of, 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 of you know, Mashiach of this generation. And that's where he chose his place, and that's where his shul is, and that's the place from which light goes out to the entire world. Now, okay, then here's another question. What about the time? And this one's really a lot of fun. So, um, um, so we're talking about, oh, and by the way, so the head of, of the United States and all of the heads of state had to come from their place and they had to come here to be specifically in this place. Why? Because the ultimate peacemaker is Mashiach himself. The ultimate peacemaker is the Nasi Adar, is the leader of the generation. He's the one He's the one that within him is the Geula. Yeah. The Geula is sitting inside of him. And therefore, the first baby steps are going to be, they have to be in his presence. He's going to empower us. To, to, to usher in the Geula. So every other head of state came from all the other countries and they all came to New York. Everybody left their place where they are in power and they came to the place where the Nasiadar is, so to speak, in, in power or powerful. So then here's the question. The time in history, see if I can find this here. The time in history. So the time in history was, um, when did they start to build the UN? They started to build the UN um, in the middle of the war, right? In no, in the middle of the war, in the year Tashin Bay, um, nineteen forty-two, more or less. 
<laughs> and then more specifically at the end of the war in 1945. Now, very interesting. What happened in 1941-42? That's when the, Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe came to America. So you ask the question, what does that have to do with anything? Oh, sorry, let's, let's go through the dates. Okay, I'm going to go backwards. So they came to America. Now imagine this. In the same year they established the... Well, so, right, in the same, at the same time the United Nations got this idea to make, to start this, to start a vod, a, 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 a plate, right, a plate for world peace. And they called it, they didn't call it the, it was probably the League of Nations at that point. So the question is why? According to the laws of nature, they're in the middle of World War, world war II. They had World War One. They said, war isn't going to work anymore. Let's, let's try to figure out how to get rid of war. And so we're going to make this, we're going to make this, um, league. Yeah, League of Nations to sort of try to eliminate war once and for all. But what was the instinct? Why did they get that idea? It seems like, well, there were wars. There were wars for thousands of years. They liked wars. We just said the two guys with the boots, they loved wars. Why did they suddenly change, you know, like, what's with you? You always liked war. All of a sudden, you don't like war. So what happened? The masculine nature. <laughs> so, um, so, so imagine that, that. As long as it says in Mashiach times, the entire world will be filled with the knowledge of, of God. Okay. As long as those who teach the knowledge of God, the Rebbeim, the most, are in one half of the globe, Europe and Asia, then you have a situation where half the, half the world is filled with the knowledge of God. And the other half of the world, North and South America and Australia, is kind of empty. So you need the entire world to be filled with the possibility of the knowledge of God, which means that you need the Rebbeim to come here from that, what's called the upper half of the globe, to the lower half of the globe. The minute they put their foot on American soil, boom, the entire thing starts to be activated. Now you have an entirely different possibility, where now the entire world in a, in in a short time can be filled with the knowledge of God, as we see today. What took 3,000 years in Europe to, to, to build up, um, took 50 years from 19, what are we talking about, 1941, till now. Took 70 years, but, but until 1991, this sikha was said in 1991, 92. So we're talking about from 41 to 91, 50 years, right? I'm trying to remember my math. 50 years. That's how short it was. 3,000 years the first time. Second time it's 50 years. So the minute that the, the Friedrich and the Rebbe put their foot on American soil, everything started to change. How do you see? Suddenly the nation said, oh, huh, peace. No more war. Oh, interesting. Yeah, let's try to eliminate war. What is that? What, what, what's that all about? They felt the presence of Mashiach on, in this half of the globe. They felt that somehow the presence of Mashiach is in the entire world on an instinctive level, and they felt like we can no longer go with the old stuff, which is war. So, oh, sorry. So, right? <laughs> right, so we can no longer go, go with war. So, therefore, they, they had this plan in 1941, 42, and then in 1945. Now, when did they build the building? You need a substantial, you need something more substantial. It's one thing to have an organization. It's, nothing, it's another thing to have the building. When was the building built? 1951, I think, 52. Um, Tafshin Yudal, if you'd 
um, in the early 50s. Now, when did the Rebbe accept the leadership of this generation? 51. Right. So you're saying as soon as that happened, and you had now the seventh generation coming into the world, and you have now an entirely different frequency for the world to operate on, which means that frequency of a higher peace reality becomes solid and grounded in the world. At that moment, a building starts to be built for this. And then, 1992, they finally started to first take their first proper steps in that direction. Because they haven't done That's a really a good – right, it's a long time, and we're still on the way. They haven't done a super good job of being peace people. Yeah. They seem to be attributing peace to the wrong uh, – right? Wrong angle. So their focus is on how bad Israel is. Right, right. So they're, 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 again, let's just say that on some level they probably, okay, we don't want to, we, we don't want to, we, we don't want to say anything that's not PC. So figure it out for yourself. I'm not going to say here. So the fact is 1992, what happened? In 1992, you would now had 40 years and 42 years of kind of uh, all of this happening, you had gone through, we we went through the journey through all the nations, and now we came to a point where it's time for the nations to finally say, that's it, peace. And they did. They made that decision. Again, again, where are we up to now? It's a whole other commentary. But, but so we understand the idea of, of, of the dates that it happened. And also, we have to realize, in the in the meantime, what happened in 1990 that was crucial in world yeah, history? The idea that even what? the organizational structure is an ideal, at least it's established, so but, that at the right time it will be... But, but here's the question. What happened in 1990 that was, like, that was changing for all of history? 1990. All of the Iron Curtain. Follow oh, right. the Iron Curtain, which means that there was only one place left in all of the world that said you cannot learn Torah and you cannot do mitzvahs. There was no place left. All through Jewish history, the world opposed us. The Romans, the Greeks, the Persians—they all opposed us and said you cannot do mitzvahs. If you do, and there was only one place left which was behind the Iron Curtain, and that one ended in 1990. Iron now, also. Right, the Iron Curtain. Now you have the last bastion of resistance to truth being eliminated, and now you have a situation where the world, right, now we're ready for peace. So two more things here. And by the way, this decision in the Congress happened on what day? Kofbov, 26th, what's 26th? Havaya. Right, good it's a frequency above the regular everyday life. It's a more miraculous frequency. And it's the month of, of, of Shvat. And it's Parshish Mishpatim. Now, what do you want to say about Parshish Mishpatim? So when you think about it, look in the Torah at all the Parshas. If the nations of the world are going to be a crucial part of this world peace, and they are, mm-hmm. And they're going to get their energy from Tyra to be a crucial part of this global eternal peace. So pick a parsha that would activate them to do it. There's not, you know, what are you going to pick? Uh, parsha, I don't know, uh, Lechlecha, Vayesha. Vayesha is 
there's one parsha that the nations of the world relate to the most. Mishpatim. It's basic morality. It's not like if you if you go to a non-Jew during Parshas Mishpatim and you say a Devar Tyra, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. As opposed to speaking to them about shopness or something like that. <laughs> there are certain things that are uniquely Jewish, and a non-Jew will say, you know, I'm happy for you that you've got your thing. It's not my thing. When it comes to Mishpatim, the nations of the world say, this is not only your thing, this is my thing. I totally, I totally relate to it. So therefore. As soon as you went 40 years from Yud Shvat, let's say 19, 1951, to Yud Shvat 1991, and now you finish these 40 years, and the Iron Curtain fell, and everything has been completed, and the world is, in, is, is moving into sync to harmonize with, with this world peace, then you have the very first week when the nations of the world could kind of jump on the bandwagon, and that's Parshat Meshvatim. And so what happens is, and it's Arab Shabbos, it's Wednesday. It's, it's as close as you, you know, the beginning of Shabbos. So you have Arab Shabbos, Parshish Mishpatim, the 26th day, Yudke Vavke, an energy that's miraculous, that's way above, that's way above everyday life with all of the, with, with all the struggles of life. And at that moment, the nations of the world say, you know, the famous song, Lo Yisad Goyel one nation will not pick up a sword against another nation. Again, we're leaving out the part about where we're up to now, but this is a historical moment. And one nation will... Yeah, of course, I think, is, is something that's upcoming, you know, right. that will really take away all incentive for war, apparently. Right. So so what we have now is um, a melange, a, um, a, a combination of... Um, dark and light, miraculous and what looks like the opposite of miraculous, the old and the new. All of these things are coming together at the same time. And that core-to-core confrontation between between truth, between good and evil, between light and darkness has never been more extreme and so and more in the public eye. And so it's kind of, you know, again, you see it's Milchan Hashem. It's Hashem's Final battle of yeah, not not uh, what's the word capricious battle between you know one Michigan nation and another Michigan nation, but a Shem's battle to bring to the right to the face of evil what what truth looks like and what good looks like, and bring the two together so to speak on the battlefield that evil has to face goodness. And goodness has to face evil. Eternity has eternity faces. That's what the like, all movies and right, right, right. Eternity, finite will meet infinite. Mm-hmm. In other words, oh, you know what? There was that that we saw this little clip about the New York Times. That when was it? A couple of a couple of years ago, right? in the year two thousand or two thousand two thousand ten, something like that, or twenty. I can't remember. But the New York Times um, had their hundredth birthday. And so they had a page of the the news that was, the news of 100 years before, and the supposed news that they predicted of 100 years from now. (laughs) And nobody knows what the news will be 100 years from now. So on the third page, at the bottom, they had candle lighting, Shabbos candle lighting time for that, you know, that particular day, 100 years from now. 
No, 100 years from now. Oh, that was part of the prediction. It's not a prediction. I mean, you just look it up in the calendar. It's, 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 right. You can, you, you, you can, can do it. You, you, can, do it. you right. can see what time candle lighting will be 100 years from now. You just right. look up, you know, 100-year calendar. I'm saying they knew. Right. So that was the question. So that was the question. Somebody somebody asked them, and the owner then, I don't know if he still is the owner, is Irish Catholic, and they asked him, did somebody pay you to put this, you know, put this? And he said, no, nobody did. And they said, well, why did you decide to put it? And he said, because we really don't know what the future is bringing. We don't know what's going to be. They had articles about um, can computers vote and can, you know, all kinds of interesting things based on predictions based on now. They said, we really, he said, we really don't know what's going to be 100 years from now. There's one thing we know for sure. The Jewish women will be lighting Shabbos candles 100 years from now. That's the only solid, basic, grounded thing that we know about. You're talking about the nations of the world saying nothing else, everything else is fleeting. We don't know. It comes, it goes, it can be, it cannot be. One thing is grounded in the fabric of, of eternity is Jewish women will be lighting Shabbos candles. And today it's being expressed by Am Yisrael Chai. We're saying, when we say Am Yisrael Chai, we're saying there is a piece of eternity in a very finite world. There is a piece of something that's infinite in a very finite world. The swords represent finitude. That means now he's here, now he's not here. You know, well, easy come, easy go. Guy's gone, you know. Bang, bang, bang. You know, boom, boom, boom with the sword. That's what the sword represents. But there's a piece of infinity in, injected into this world, and it's called a Jew. And a Jew is infinite. Even if God forbid, God forbid his, end, his life ends, his physical life ends, he still continues. You can't get rid of him. He still <laughs> continues. The Jew is infinite and on Yisrael Chai. And so what you see now is this war of the world, the, time, the world grappling with this idea of um, what is truth, what is eternity, through this supposed this war that's going on, and and darkness is is fighting with with light, and 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 um, evil is fighting against good, and and from this will emerge the eternity of Hashem's infinity. So, um, and we're going to just say one one more point here. Um, so what does this have to do with Parshish Mishpatim? We said that this is the way that the nations come into this. And it says, Mishpatim Mishpatim What does that mean? That the reason that we keep these Mishpatim, the reason that we keep all these laws and we keep terror is because they make so much sense, right? No. From the world's point of view, yeah, they make sense, so you do them. From the point, from the point of view of Tyra, they make, we don't do them because they make sense. We, we do them because because that's what Tyra says. They're the logical ones, but we do them. The reason we do Mishpatim, the reason that we have all of these basic laws of morality is Misinai. If that means they were given Misinai, and if they weren't given from Tyra, they really wouldn't make sense. We think that, oh, come on, even if we didn't have Tyra, People would have thought up this basic morality. Says the Rebbe, it's not true. Says Tyra, it's not true. You would think so, but and we live in a world now where basic morality, you know how people say, you know, like, oh, excuse me, sir, um, could you tell me how to find 
such and such on the shelf. And then there's, you know, it becomes very uncomfortable because there's a whole gender discussion. Should I say, excuse me, man, excuse me, sir, excuse me, um, excuse me, you know, et cetera. And it's a very sensitive topic. That means that the new morality is that, well, I, you have your truth and I have my truth. All the way to the extent of, I mean, this is a mild example. If right now I reach out and I put your phone in my pocket and I, I, you know, I say, oh, Susan, I just, I'm going upstairs for a minute. I take your phone upstairs. And when you go to leave, you say, um, could I have my phone back? And I say, your phone? You say, well, yeah, it's my phone. I say, yeah, that's your truth. That's your truth. You know, that's your opinion. I don't, you know, that's your reality. It's not my reality. According to my reality, it's my phone. So the new morality says, Whatever I decide, it is. There is no basic morality. If I want your phone, I just make a whole thing, and I decide that I tell you, you know, you've got your thing going on. My thing is that's my phone, and I'm putting it away upstairs. And then, you know, call your lawyer. Call the police. What police? There are no more police, right? <laughs> They're defunded. Call the defunded police. So so the reason we keep all of it is because of Sinai, because Tyra says, um, and the the fact that a person's mind says keep this basic morality is because um, how do we say it that a person's mind will say it because the commands of the Tyra in which Hashem's will God's will is enclosed which is um, higher even than His wisdom and it comes down into these laws and therefore you're talking about godly laws. So we're going to bring one more one more point here. The whole point here of everything is that the Rambam says, The entire world will want to do one thing and one thing alone. Know God. Knowledge of God, knowing the deepest knowledge of God, we're, is going to come down into the intellect of people. K N O W, not Right, 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 right. <laughs> and therefore, um, we come to here. We come to this point about this decision in the UN. So the Rebbe is telling us really an unbelievable thing. This idea of they will beat their swords into plowshares. Plow I can't see without this. They will beat their swords into plowshares. It seems that it would make sense. You know, like swords are no good, let's make let's let's make them into something. What does that mean by the way? When they did it in the UN, when they said they're built, beating their swords into plowshares, it means it doesn't mean we used to think when we were in camp Benebris or whatever, if you know, when we were kids, so if we we would sing that song, we would picture a guy standing in the field and he would take a sword and he would break it over his knee and he would, you know, use it to plow the earth or something like that. We couldn't really quite figure out what it was going to look like. But what it really means in modern terms is the money that they were going to use for war, instead they use that money for um, for things that help people live. You know, for education, for family services, for in other words, for things that nourish us, instead of using that money for things that destroy our society, God forbid, that money is used to, for things that will enhance our society. Well, nourish. 
<laughs> but that well, so that was the moment when they made that decision in 1992, and they said they literally took a lot of their arms and they brought them out into the desert and they blew them up. And they made certain decisions about how they were going to do things politically. And a lot of the money that was allotted normally for their budget for war was instead allotted to, at that time, was allotted to doing things for the good of society. And we're on that trajectory. We understand that we have kind of one... Obama made a mockery of our <laughs> Right, <laughs> right, <our> right. <laughs> so, so the question is like this. It seems like, and the rest is saying, it seems like it would make sense that, you know, well, everybody agrees with that. And the Rebbe kind of, I, I made it very graphic with the idea of the two fellows with the boots, the boots, you know, take off your boots. No, I won't. The Rebbe is saying all through history, quite honestly, the nations of the world thought that doing war was pretty normal stuff. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Nobody said, what? The people of Spain want to annex the territory of Portugal? That's disgusting. They didn't. They said, well, yeah. That means they had a totally different mindset. So what changed? How did the penny drop? How did they suddenly have this mindset of, uh, we don't do that stuff anymore? How did the Vietnam War, how did people object to the Vietnam War? How did people become um, uh, defectors from the army and run away? Everybody, you know. So, so how did that possibly happen? And the Rebbe says really an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. Did it just like, well, yeah, after all that time in history, we finally came around. No. The Rebbe said there was a very specific thing that happened, and that is that if the nations of this, that the nations of the world came together and said, okay, we want to look to reduce war, it came as a result of the Hachlata, the decision and the declaration of the Rabbanim, of, 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 of the Rabbeim and, uh, and our holy rabbis, starting with the Psakian of the, of the Friedrich Rebbe, saying that everything, we've done everything, and now we are ready to stand and receive Mashiach. And once he passed in that, it changed, it affected the, it affected the mindset of the world. And the Psaktin of Rabbanim around the world that said, that they actually signed and said, the time of the Gula has come, and here is Melech Mashiach, Yamad Melech Mibes David, Bechestus Shu Mashiach, all the way to Mashiach Vadai. This Psaktin Misinai went down into the parameters, parameters of the world. All the way to what the Rebbe says that they him that if you if you look at the qualifications of what the Rambam says, who is Mashiach and what is how do you know who's Mashiach in any given generation? In every generation, there's a Mashiach. Right. So how do you know? He's a great scholar. He's a great scholar. He knows the whole Torah. Um, he brings the entire world to completion. Yaman Melhis from Beis David. He fixes all the breaches in Torah, etc. He brings everybody to truth, etc., etc. Different qualifications that you see in chapter eleven. Of, of the Ramam of Mishnah Taira, and the very last chapter, mm, the Law of Kings, the Law of Kings, and then, and and he gathers all, and then he gathers all the in gatherings, he builds the, the Mikdash in his place, etc. Once this was postponed by rabbis around the world, it, boom, like, it changed the mindset of the world. 
so that you had a radical shift. It's kind of like everybody woke up and said, like, oh, um, war. Oh, maybe war is not so good anymore. Again, they said that in 1942, and then in, and then they, to the extent of building a building in 1950, 1951-52, they weren't quite ready for it yet, but they were on their way, the first baby steps. Even if they're not 100%. Yeah. Or in their, the way that they're speaking, at least they're speaking it in an external way. Right. So <laughs> they're speaking about it. And then, but the fact that in 1992, in 1991 and 92, Rabbanim around the world, Hoskins, this is it, Mashiach time. This is it, according, not just making it up, according to the qualifications of everything that the Rambam says. This fits everything that the Rambam says. Once we made that decision. I guess once Taira made made that declaration, then the nations of the world came to a turning point in history. And that was what caused them to make this decision. We're gonna we're gonna reduce our arms and we're gonna use it more for for um other things. And that the Rebbe says is the beginning 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 of the fulfillment of they'll beat their swords into plowshares. So um, we're just going to say two things. So, therefore, we can say that the life skill of this week would be, um, if the energy is all about swords into plowshares, then it brings me to look at my life and ask, okay, what do I feel is working against me? What do I feel like, you know, all the, oh, no, I can't believe it, it's raining. Oh, we were, you know, we were going to go to this place. We were going to go to Florida for for a week, and, and it's, they say it's going to rain the whole week. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Every single thing that we feel is working against us, we want to reframe it, and we want to redo it in something that that somehow ends up being, rather than, a, rather than something working against us, a sword, something that ends up being an asset. There is nothing that's not by divine providence at this point Nothing has been created just like that or just to torture us. It feels sometimes like, God, so you're just creating these things to torture us, right? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm creating these things to nurture the redemptive energy, to nurture and to nourish and nurture you and bring all of you and have you as partners, as co-creators in a world of goodness and peace. And and I want you to reach out to the entire world with the seven misses and, and get the whole world on board. This is not a solo operation, but our job is to get the entire world on board so that we don't have to have, have, actually have physical wars. And this is, and so the life skill is to kind of look at every moment in our lives or as many times as we can and say, wait a minute, okay, I'm in a situation. Do I see this as a sword or as a plowshare? And if I can't see it as a plowshare, what would I need to do to take this circumstance like, oh, wow, the car broke down just when I have to drive to Boston. Are you joking? You know, again, I'm picking, you know, small things. Um, It looks like another sword. How do I reframe it to see how I can use it to the advantage of my mission and our mission to usher in a world of godliness? Of godly truth, and and right, and one other thing. At least it was before the trip, and not in the right. Trip. <laughs> before the trip, and then the other part is what's the feminine piece in all of this? So the masculine way we said is 
hey, you have the same boots as me, pull out your sword, we fight a duel, one of them wins, one of them loses, and bravo. That's the masculine energy. And the feminine energy is more, I know we can work it out. You know, let's hug. You know, I know, I know we can work it out. And, and somehow it's a very feminine instinct. Like, okay, 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 put away the swords. To, to kind of do peace is a very feminine instinct. Okay, 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 put away the swords. Let's use them for something positive. Children, let's not fight. You know, let's use them for something positive. But it does leave us with the question, so what's going on in the world today? So why are the Jewish people fighting a war? And that's because a Amalek is outside of the realm of anything that can be transformed. And God himself says, my throne will not be complete until the memory and the name of Amalek and, and the energy and Amalek himself is completely destroyed and blotted out, completely destroyed. That's the one energy, says God, that that one has to be completely eliminated. I cannot then usher in the redemption, says God, unless that force has been eliminated. And I appoint all people of truth who, who stand for truth and godliness to make sure that that is done and all evil is eliminated. And from that moment on, we work with everything else to transform it. So may we find ourselves in the transformation of the world from from the old way to the new way, to the Gula Mitzvah Shashlema, and it should be um, the Chesed of Ramachim. If you think about it, a lot of things that are, I mean, 